Welcome to Morganics, a podcast. My name is Chris Morgan. Response to the first episode of the pod was very positive, which was quite gratifying, considering the fact I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But, like a poet once said, I must create a system or be enslaved by another man's. I will not reason and compare. My business is to create. Let's get down to it. One of the pieces of news that has come across my desk in recent weeks has been the story about sea chanties being popular again. They're back. And uh, it seems like uh, people are really, really digging them. I guess uh, there's been a proliferation of them on uh, TikTok, on the TikTok, as the kids say. Uh, And um, the uh, revival of the musical form has led to the signing of at least uh, one young man who managed to get himself a deal with the uh, recording industry. And I know what you're thinking. The recording industry still has money. Rim shot. Uh, anyways, uh, commentators speaking about this have uh, cited a number of reasons for why this might be happening, why this cultural uh, phenomena is occurring, this surge of interest. Uh, one commentator I read said, that uh, it was because uh, it makes us kind of all feel like we're pirates out on the high seas are out for adventure. And uh, it's kind of an antidote for the uh, more sedentary, dull lives uh, that we are kind of living with uh, these days. Uh, Another commentator spoke about how sing-along choruses uh, are good for doing chores around the house and that sort of thing, kind of mundane uh, mundane tasks, and that's a good idea too. I myself, I think that the popularity might be due to the fact that all of us feel like we're a little bit at sea, and uh, in that metaphorical sense, we're not really sure what our next port is going to be. And uh, that kind of brings me to one of the ideas I wanted to introduce in the pod uh, for this episode, which was the idea of um, the liminal or liminality. It's the same word that you see in subliminal. Uh, The word itself means threshold, but its applications in uh, social uh, psychology and uh, in anthropology Uh, speak to a situation where an old uh, arrangement has fallen away and a new one still has yet to take shape. And I feel like that particular description sounds very much like the social situation that we all find ourselves in right now. Uh, Whatever your Uh, feeling about the public health uh, initiatives that have taken place over the past year or your political disposition or any of that sort of thing. Nobody can uh, make an argument for the fact that their lives haven't been affected by the uh, events over the past year. So that being said, I wanted to touch a little bit on the idea of liminality and I'm going to return to it uh, a little bit later on. 
but first off, I wanted to introduce the essay that I am uh, going to be um, presenting this episode. It is an essay on the subject of conspiracies, which itself is kind of a, a liminal subject, uh, a subject that's uh, found a lot of interest um, in the popular mindset uh, and also as a justification for certain political actions. Um, it seems to be a timely subject matter, so that's why I thought I would uh, share some thoughts on the subject. You know, I wanted to say, too, uh, that this essay is really about kind of trying to present a way of thinking about conspiracy theories. So even though I'm sure it's going to become clear um, in the course of it, there are, are certain um, conspiracy theories that have more, uh, you know, veracity than others. Um, I am not really interested in kind of judging them only trying to understand what it is in the human experience that has made these particular imaginative constructs so uh, so popular uh, in our time. So uh, they've been with us for a long time, and I get into that with the essay, but the idea of conspiracy theories and that it brings a certain amount of um, security to somebody's life and that being the result of the fact that you know what's going on in the world or what's really going on behind the scenes, that's a big part of the impetus behind the essay. Um, the question of how we know what we know. I think that is a, a kernel of, um, we'll call it truth, um, that is kind of at the core of what the conspiracy theory is really all about. So without further ado, I want to present uh, my essay on conspiracies. This is part one. Conspiracies, Part 1 I have a dear friend with whom I discuss all sorts of subjects. The two of us are particularly adept at a kind of conversation that is loose and rambling. These qualities, in and of themselves, are not unique. Most people could probably name one or two other individuals with whom they share such a rapport. One of the things that made our conversation special, though, is the fact that we've known each other for over a quarter century, and as such, we enjoy the kind of conversational shorthand that all longtime colleagues share. Also, he lives on the other side of the world now, in Asia, and so he brings those experiences to bear on our discourse, which widens the scope of its proliferation. It was during one of these loose and rambling discussions that he and I found ourselves speaking on the subject of conspiracy. The two of us share many perspectives in common, so it came as something of a shock to find unsettling differences revealed during our discourse, and it led to a response which is presented in the exposition I proffer here. There can be no doubt that conspiracies exist in nature and human society, and have for as long as living beings have been able to breathe together, which is the original meaning of the word conspiracy generated from the Latin conspire, 
Khan together with and Spiere breathe. Even among our faunal cousins, forces align to disrupt the status quo. A head chimpanzee is displaced by a rival who is aided by other like-minded chimps. Or the alpha of a wolf pack is tore to bits by would-be usurpers, who then turn on each other until a new leader emerges. Could these coups be accomplished without secret alliances, albeit alliances formed on an instinctual level of awareness? That seems implausible. But it is conspiracies of the human kind that are by far the most imaginative and complex. This is entirely in order, since it is the peculiar property of Homo sapiens sentience to make abstract realities seem almost tangible to the senses while remaining just beyond reach of them. These realities are not just intellectual abstractions, but emotional ones too, and more often than not, a combination of both. They can be identified by everyday nomenclature, in the language of law, mathematics, politics, commerce, art, religion, science, and so on. Realities represented by language and the artifacts they produce are the stuff of imagination and reason set to work in the world the mythos and the logos. My philosophical forebearer called these realities true world theories, which is as good as signifier as any. Civilization itself, in fact, is built upon intimation of these realities, which arose in the deep well of time, like a flame alighting the dark. Steering clear of metaphysics for now, I'll elaborate on mythos and logos later, and having asserted that human awareness has the aforementioned property of conferring reality to a given perspective, we can bring that knowledge to bear on the subject of conspiracy. Firstly, though, for the purposes of this essay, let's define conspiracy as the intent of a few individuals to control the majority of the population using coercion, deception, misinformation, disinformation, and propaganda. Secondly, we'll acknowledge that conspiracy narratives are about power and keeping the mass population in the dark prostrate to those who will benefit from the conspiracy, whether that is banks, big pharma, government, elites, etc. With these basic definitions in place, a metric can be contrived to measure a range of conspiracy theories from the proven to the fantastical. Of the three broad categories that will exist within the spectrum of this metric, the first is comprised of conspiracy theories that have been shown to be factually, historically, and scientifically verifiable by institutions and persons charged with guarding the gate, metaphorically speaking, between what is known and what is unknown. I know what you're going to say now, reader. What if the guardians themselves are conspiring to keep us in fetters, putting blinds over our eyes to conceal and dissemble what truth can be found in this world? Quis custodes ipsos custodes, as a Roman poet once asked. Only the context here isn't marital fidelity, but fidelity to an idea of knowledge that is incorruptible. There is, of course, no knowledge in this world without error. Contingency and uncertainty appear to be essential ingredients of what could be described loosely as a common reality, and these ingredients seem baked into the very nature of things. 
But even with that admission, there is value to epistemic fidelity in some form of objective knowledge, value to the notion there exists a vast, eminent, and collaborative transhuman intelligence, and value in believing people can make informed declarations with conditional certainty. Even if this vision is aspirational, its effect in the world is substantive and measurable. So in the spirit of such a conceit, here is a way that we might think about knowledge claims that validate the legitimacy of conspiracies listed in the first category. Consider the factors that go into making of a diamond necklace. There are diamonds themselves, which are analogous to facts that can be reasonably asserted about a given conspiracy. Diamonds are the result of time and pressure and mined by way of human ingenuity, industry, and greed. So too are facts the result of individuals and communities from various disciplines using rigorous, critical, and competitive processes to delineate known qualities from what's unknown. The size, number, and setting of diamonds in the necklace parallels the constellation and arrangement of facts about a conspiracy theory. If someone were to purchase the necklace, there are ways to ensure it isn't a fake. Analogously, if a theory is validated, we can consider the facts supporting that validation to be credible. When we turn on a light or start a car, we expect the scientific theories that inform the object's engineering to produce the desired effect. With conspiracy theories, the desired effect is to know the truth of an event or process and its relevance to the individual and society. To summarize, it is because of legal, historical, academic, and scientific factual rigor that the conspiracies in the first category have been shown to meet the definitions of conspiratorial intent described previously, coercion, deception, misinformation, disinformation, and propaganda. Evidence offered as proof in each conspiracy's case is nigh irrefutable. If measurements on the conspiracy spectrum are made horizontally, i.e. along the x-axis, the first category occupies a range of degrees closest to x-y. Proximity of one category to another along the x-axis is an effort to demonstrate a progressive tendency towards more extreme, fatalistic, and fantastical beliefs represented in the conspiracy spectrum. The x-axis measures epistemic veracity and dissonance, or the tension between knowledge and belief. As integers increase along this axis, associated conspiracy theories become less verifiable. Cognitive dissonance, or if you prefer, psychological tension, experienced by a conspiracy theorist is measured along the y-axis, vertically. The rate of change here is represented by the rise of an upward concave parabola. Least affected by cognitive dissonance are conspiracy theories classed in this first category, called demonstrable conspiracies, or DC. Few people would contest these conspiracy theories. Some of the more well-known include the NSA surveillance program revealed by Edward Snowden, the Bush administration's intent to mislead United Nations about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, the Iran-Contra affair, Watergate, among many others. Strategies employed by the tobacco and lead industries to hide the dangers of their products in the early and mid-20th century would also appear in this category, 
although this wasn't always the case, as I'll explain in a moment. Many of the conspiracies in this category are nefarious, like Kristallnacht or the Catholic Church's cultural assimilation of indigenous people and suppression of priest sex abuse scandals. Others are so famous they're the stuff of legend. Socrates' trial and execution, Jesus' crucifixion, and the assassination of Julius Caesar are good examples. The DC category acts as a control for the rest of this imaginary metric, and the conspiracy theories listed here will be obvious to motivated, informed, and curious observers like you and me. These are events that are recorded in history, studied by scholars, documented by legal precedents, affirmed by experimentation, validated by institutional analysis, and so on. It is worth noting, however, that events listed in the DC category did not start out there. It is by a sort of collective intellectual rigor and due to the passage of time that conspiracies are exposed. Bias is limited too, as more information about a conspiracy theory becomes available. Of the classifications represented on the spectrum, the DC category is the one most associated with what might be described as objective knowledge, if such a thing is believed to exist. Degrees along the x-axis of the metric represent a gradation which corresponds with the epistemic veracity and dissonance of a given conspiracy theory, as I mentioned earlier. Suffice it to say, the conspiracies listed along the far right of the demonstrable conspiracies category might be considered verging on demonstrability. These conspiracies include the influence of the American military-industrial complex domestically and abroad and the oil industry's campaign of disinformation related to the effects of pollution in the atmosphere. Here also we can observe the institutional and societal structures underlying the systemic oppression of women and people of color in the West, which has been created to benefit a white male minority. Economic and financial collusion between members of a small group of global corporations could be classified in this designation as well. The distinction between degrees in the demonstrable conspiracies category as a whole is the presence of overwhelming legal precedents coupled with ongoing and intense institutional analysis and the passage of time. Societal change over successive generations coincides with the collective response to the conspiracies classed in this category. Widespread acknowledgement of the conspiracies listed here results in revolutions and leads to the prosecution and sometimes termination of corrupt entities and agents. This fact highlights the most obvious and important aspect of the theories classed in the demonstrable conspiracies category. Society and its culture are transformed in fundamental ways by the unmasking of conspiracy, provided the conspiracy has affected the lives and or the well-being of a critical mass of people in that society. There is nevertheless ongoing resistance to disrupting the status quo and revealing the extent to which people are manipulated from the highest levels of government and commerce. Yet even in this time, the male-centric power structures and patriarchal-enforced hierarchies are under siege on all sides. Appeals to traditional authorities are not completely ineffectual, but this is an era of profound existential doubt in the West, a time of fake news and false prophets, and the way ahead is unclear, even, I think, to the most prescient among us. 
Overcoming pernicious doubt requires novel optimism, a spiritual disposition that is resilient in the face of life's sufferings and not a denial of that suffering. If history provides a guide, political and economic hegemonies are impermanent. Even with maintenance, they eventually falter like a decrepit body or an old machine. That's why the passage of time is an important consideration when evaluating the effect of conspiracies on society. It keeps things in perspective. For example, when oil companies fully transition to green energy production some 20 years from now, it will be easier to acknowledge the corrupt veneer under which the industry operated for more than a century. In short, conspiracy theories deposited in the demonstrable conspiracies category are verifiable. And if the conspirators haven't been outed already and punished, controlling the classified information they once attempted to suppress has lost value. End of part one. It's all a big conspiracy, man. You don't get it, man. You don't get it. Wake up, man. I like how the essays that I've presented to you so far sound like uh, they were written by a 19th century duke or something. Uh, it's the style that I like to write in when I'm doing this sort of work. Uh, but don't think it's escaped my attention. Anyways, uh, I wanted to uh, present that to you, and I may have an opportunity to present the second part of that essay on conspiracies, but we will uh, see what comes up in future episodes of the pod. Last episode, I talked about something called the franchise check-in, and the franchise check-in is a chance for me to opine on my favorite fantasy, science fiction, and superhero franchises. They are five in number. We have Star Wars, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or MCU, and the DC Extended Universe. The one I'm going to talk about right now is WandaVision, which is an MCU joint. So I'm going to just give a very brief commentary. Uh, if people are not watching this program, this will be a very short segment, so just bear with me. Uh, I'm not going to present any spoilers that I can think of, but we're at the end of episode five now when I'm recording this podcast. I think we can see now that uh, what Wanda is experiencing is some kind of response to an emotional trauma. We might surmise that it is the death of uh, of vision and uh, that this whole kind of wish fulfillment fantasy that she's created is part of that. It does uh, harken back to uh, a Marvel series called House of M. I'm not even going to get into that right now, but I think we could uh, perhaps conjecture that this um, uh, thing that Wanda has created, this reality, may be actually the harbinger of the next stage in kind of the Marvel Cinematic Universe evolution. So we'll have to uh, talk about that a little bit more in the future. Last but not least, I have a song. 
And for it, I wanted to return to the theme of liminality that I brought up in the first part of the pod. That idea of moving from something that is known through the unknown into something new. So uh, the song I have uh, to present is unironically titled Liminal. Uh, It's on that very subject matter and it is the newest piece I've written. I've had the melody around for a little while, but the lyrics just fell into place very recently. So I did a little bit of work here at the studio and managed to come up with a recording that I'm reasonably pleased with. So I leave you with this until next time. I hope you enjoy it. And as the Vulcans say, live long and prosper. Transformation is in the air. Change is manifesting everywhere. This is how it starts. A revolution of the heart. Nothing certain, that's for sure. Except we need a plan to save the world. Revolution of the heart None of it is scripted No sample can be lifted Explanations scripted So Thank you.